Tonight, I'm going to be talking to you about what it means to be truly alive. Our passage tonight is in Ephesians 2, so if you'd love to grab your Bibles, they're either in front of you, behind you, on your phones. We're going to read from Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's a positive start tonight, guys. (laughs) In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We all sit here tonight with something in common. We all have blood rushing through our veins, hearts beating, neurons firing. We all know what it means to be physically alive, at least I hope. But I'm sure you'll agree that there's more to life than just biology. So many of us search for those things that make us come alive on the inside, make us come alive on a deeper level. We search for them in all types of places, whether it's through relationships, experiences, achievements. When I think about my own parents, I can see this as part of their journey, this searching for the things that make them come alive. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. My parents were quite anti-established religion and they spent a number of years finding those things that make you come alive and they explored music and drugs and they'd sit in a field, listen to a Buddhist teacher, they did yoga, they ate organic food, they did all sorts. And we all do that, don't we? We search in places for the things that will make us come alive. I had similar interests growing up, but then one day as a teenager, to my dad's horror, I decided to go to church. My friend had invited me and I'd been quite curious about it because as I started to go, I found something that surprised me. I found there was life there in Christians of all people and in a church of all places. So I kept going back and one Friday night I was at this church, a youth group, and it was just a small church in the town called Scunthorpe, which is where I grew up in Lincolnshire and I'd heard this message about the person of Jesus and they offered an invitation that you could respond and invite Jesus into your life and decide to follow him. And so I took up that invitation and I followed the youth leaders to this other room they had just on the side and it was this room with green walls and a green floor and it was in that room that I prayed a very simple prayer. And as I prayed that prayer, sat on this cold green lino floor, everything changed. It was in that moment where I felt more alive than I'd ever felt before that. I now know that that was the Holy Spirit. By the time I didn't have the theological understanding or the the words to be able to articulate what God was doing. But he was doing what this verse talks about. He made me alive 
in Christ. It was a moment that changed my life. But it's a bizarre thing. I'm sure some of you might have experienced it. Perhaps you pray a prayer to accept Jesus into your life, to follow him. And sometimes it's filled with adrenaline or surprise. Other times, perhaps that feeling of love or peace. And it'd be amazing just to stay in that moment forever. But you go home, you go to sleep, you wake up the next day in the same house, hopefully, with the same friends, the same job, the same boss, the same husband or wife, the same in-laws. It's amazing because everything changes in that moment. And yet we wake up and not necessarily anything around us has changed. We can think, now what? God has made me alive, but what is this all about? So often, God doesn't begin by changing our outer world. He begins by changing our inner world. He begins by bringing life here on the inside. This passage, it talks about that moment of being made alive in Christ. It's a moment from which we go from death to life. It's a moment where our lives are changed forever. Suddenly our lives are not our own anymore. They're intimately intertwined with the life of Jesus. But this passage says that this isn't just the end, it's the beginning. It's the start of a new life in him. In verse 8 we read, For it is by grace you have been saved. But in the original language that Paul was writing, he actually uses the present tense and the perfect tense. So perhaps a better translation would be, You are saved. Salvation, this new life in Christ, is not just a past experience or a future hope for when we die, but it is a present and continuous reality that we experience daily through Jesus. Following Jesus is a first-hand, lifelong journey of discovering what it means to be truly alive. See, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't just come to show us what God looks like, but he came to show us what it means to be human. In John 10, verse 10, we found this profound, profound statement on the lips of Jesus. He says, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. No matter who you are tonight, no matter what situation you come from, your background, that is God's intention for your life, that you would know life and life in all its fullness. But what is the nature of this life we have in Christ? What does it mean to be made alive in him? My first point tonight is that the life we have in Christ cannot be overcome by death. See, although this life in all its fullness might be God's intention for us, our passage in Ephesians 2 shows us that it's possible to be alive on the outside and yet dead on the inside. It's possible to not know that life deep at the core within us, to be numb, to be sleepwalking through our days. The Bible teaches us that sin leads to death. And sin is the thing that mars the image of God in us. It fractures our humanity. It disconnects us from God, the source of life. And it prevents our capacity to be alive and to feel alive. And on our own, we're helpless to deal with sin and death. But the climax of our passage tonight is in verse 4, where we discover that God has done something about this. 
It says, but because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is only God who can make us come alive. And it's only by following Jesus that we discover life in all its fullness. Even when we were dead, God intervened and brought life. It's in God's track record to bring life out of death. That's what he desires to do in us. About a year after that moment I'd had on that cold green lino floor, becoming a Christian in Scunthorpe, my mum passed away with cancer. I'm sure in a room this size, I'm not the only person whose life has been affected by cancer or by loss. I'm sure many of you have experienced those questions, that confusion, the pain, the anger. For me, for a long time after that, there was then this numbness, this nothingness. My heart just switched off. It didn't matter what I did, whether I hung out with my friends, whether I listened to my favorite music or I ate my favorite food and I love food, or whether I got drunk or whether I smoked drugs, none of it made me feel alive. And it was so easy to slip back into that place of nothingness, of being alive on the outside and yet feeling dead on the inside. The only place where I ever experienced life was in God's presence. Which was really annoying, to be honest, because I was mad with God. I had questions for him. I was angry with him. I couldn't ignore his life-giving presence. I couldn't ignore his comforting words. I couldn't ignore his healing power, his love, and his peace. It was in God's presence as I worshipped or read my Bible or prayed, whether that would be at church with others or on my own in in a room that suddenly it felt like my heart began to beat again. It was like the Holy Spirit was like this defibrillator, bringing shockwaves of life and energy to me in a way that I hadn't found anywhere else and in a way that I couldn't muster for myself. It was the gift of God. The life we have in Christ is greater than any death that might surround us. Whether that's the death of a loved one, whether that's the death of a relationship, a marriage, whether that's the death of a dream or a career. So many of us probably go through those experiences of feeling like we're surrounded by death. But as Christians, we learn from this passage that our lives are primarily marked by the life Christ has given us. Even in climates that seem full of death, life is still possible because of God. The fact that we are made alive in Christ becomes the reality that shapes every other experience that we go through. It's the reality that will outlive even time itself, that you have been made alive in Christ. And nothing can silence that life. Nothing can squeeze it out. Nothing can dilute it. Though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear, for God will be with you. In Romans 8 verse 11, Paul writes that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that overcame death in the person of Jesus can overcome death in you, death in all shapes and sizes. The life we have in Christ 
cannot be overcome by death. Secondly, this life we have in Christ is not dependent upon our circumstances, but on God's nature. In our passage today, we've learned a lot about who this God is, this God who's the source of life. It talks about him being rich in mercy, rich in love, rich in grace, and rich in kindness. I wonder tonight, is that the God you know? Is that what you expect of God when you come to pray to him? See, the whole activity of God in the world, all of his actions flow out of his nature, this loving, kind, gracious, merciful nature. And we see that most clearly in the person of Jesus. And as Christians, we live based not on the changing winds of our circumstances, but on the certainty of God's unchanging nature. That's the most significant factor in our lives. As Christians, we don't live in the light of our past mistakes or of our present circumstances. We live in the light of who God is. As a follower of Jesus, you are not defined by your past. You're not defined by your present circumstances. You're not defined by your failings or your achievements. You are defined by God. And he calls us a beloved child. He says that we are alive in him. The life we have in Christ is not dependent upon our circumstances, but upon God's nature. And each day, he invites us to come, taste, and see that he is good. Every day, he longs that we would know him afresh, to know his goodness afresh. However, I know for me, so often I think that I can only taste and see the goodness of God if he changed my circumstances. Once this season's over, once this deadline's passed, once this problem's resolved, then I'll know God's goodness. We postpone the goodness of God to another time and another place. If I'm honest, over the last two years, I've done that far too often. I've been frustrated in so many different ways. Longing for a change in my job, longing to study something I've been working towards, longing to have a child. These three things have filled my prayer life. They filled my imagination when I've walked the dog, when I've cycled to work. And too often they've robbed me of experiencing the goodness God had for me that day. See, ambitions and dreams are good, but not if they distract us from the goodness of God. Frustration, impatience can rob us from the joy and life God has for us today. So often we can think, when I find a husband or a wife, then I'll know the goodness of God. When I have a child, then I'll know joy. When I get my dream job, when I finish my degree, when I don't have to pay rent anymore, when I don't have to do such a long commute, when I don't have to pay a mortgage anymore, when I retire, then I will know God's goodness. What is it that you've been waiting for? What's the thing that you think, as soon as that happens, then you'll know life in all its fullness? Maybe God wants to show you his ability to bring good things, even out of the darkest of circumstances. Maybe God wants to show you his goodness in this season of waiting. Maybe there's lessons for you to learn, depths for you to explore, mysteries for you to discover about who he is. 
in the middle of this time. A few years ago on Christmas Eve, um, Andy and I were dating and he planned this surprise trip to London. So we set off at 5am in the car and we came from Scunthorpe on the motorway to London and he packed the day full. I mean, we did everything. We saw Westminster Abbey, we went on the London Eye, we went to Oxford Street, we saw a West End show, we went to Hyde Park, we went to Winter Wonderland, we had a little bit of food, we did everything. Now this would have been a lovely day. Had he told me that we were going to be walking the equivalent of a marathon around London, I usually love to wear trainers, I was wearing high heels and I was mad. By 10am my feet were killing me. So I had one eye on the London eye and one eye looking for a thick pair of socks or a new pair of shoes or some blister plasters. And eventually it got to evening and we sat down on a bench at High Park and I just couldn't hold it in anymore. I knew it was Christmas Eve and I knew he was so kind to have planned this day, but I let rip. I had this massive moan. I was like, my feet are killing me. Why didn't you tell me? How am I going to get to the car? And I just start putting on a fresh blister plaster. So I got my legs out, got my feet out. It was awful. Just applying it. And then Andy decides that this is the moment. (laughs) This is that magic moment. (laughs) Of all the moments we'd ever had, this was perfect. So as I've got my foot out, Andy gets down on one knee and asks me to marry him. Good job. It was amazing. In that moment, suddenly all that pain I'd had in my blister disappeared and, and I was so fixated on this promise that Andy was making on our future, on this commitment and it ended up being a nice day. And ten years later, I don't have the blister anymore, which is good, but I still have Andy, which is also good. Aww. It's a silly story, but it's true. And I think so often it's true of life. Sometimes we can fixate on the immediate problem, the thing that's irritating us, the thing that's frustrating, the thing that's painful, and miss so often what God is wanting to do. To miss the invitation he's offering us to get to know him. We miss the promises that he's making to us because we're so distracted by our circumstances. So often, God longs to bring a future before us, to roll it out in front of us, for us to walk with him. But we can easily get stuck in the circumstances around us and miss out on such an invitation. A few months after my mum had passed away, I read Psalm 27. There was these couple of verses that really inspired me, and so I printed them out. I put them in this little cheesy photograph and I um, photo frame, and I put it next to my bedside, and I had it there for five years. And every morning and every evening, I would read these two verses. It's a psalm written by King David, and these two verses simply said, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. I was so inspired by the fearlessness that David had towards life. The confidence he had in who God is. So often we see in the Psalms, David doesn't allow the external situations he's facing determine the internal climate of his heart. But he allows the reality of who God is to shape everything inside. So easy to feel trapped 
by fear because of our circumstances. I know it was a huge battle for me, that fear of losing something, that fear of pain, that fear of disappointment, that fear of things never changing. But God doesn't desire us to live in a place of fear. He longs for us to be confident in who he is. Though a war break out against me, though everything might kick off in my life, even then I will be confident because I know who God is and I know he is good. We may not know what the future holds, but we know the God who holds it and we know that he is good. David finishes his psalm in verses 13 to 14. He says, I remain confident of this. Surely I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Surely, whilst I'm still alive, I will see and taste his goodness. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. I wonder if that's a word for somebody today. The life we can know in Christ is not dependent upon our circumstances, but upon God's unchanging and faithful nature. Finally, the life we have in Christ cannot be earned. It can only be received. Verse 8 said, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Our lives as Christians are saved and sustained by the grace of God. It's this profound concept we find in the Bible. It's one of the most important concepts we find in the Bible. This idea of grace, of undeserved favor. The idea of grace is so foreign to our day-to-day experience. So often in life, we're used to having to earn everything. To earn respect. To earn a wage. To earn a position. I remember as a kid, we moved to Lincolnshire and... We had this back garden, but we had a massive problem with dandelions every summer. They would just infest the whole lawn. And so I made a deal with my dad. For every dandelion I picked, he would give me one pence, which I thought was a good deal. Anyway, I did this once, and my dad just refused to pay me. So I got smart next time. Next summer, drew up a contract. This was the way to go. said, I, William Reese, hereby declare I will pay Rachel Keen Reese one P per every dandelion presented. Got it signed by my mum as well as a witness just to make sure I didn't back out of this one. And so after a hard Saturday's work and 256 dandelions later, I was laughing. I was loaded. Went to the shops, bought so many Haribo. It was great. But so often, I think we think in terms of that sense of needing to earn everything. And I was brought up like that, working for everything. So this idea of grace is so foreign to us. It's so counter-cultural. I describe God's grace as the mystery of his lavish generosity to us. We can't always understand it, but we can experience it. The life God has for us is not a wage to be earned. It's not an award to be received. But it's a gift, a free gift. My nan was probably one of the most generous people I'd ever met. Um, You'd usually find us sat um, outside the Duke of Wellington pub on Portobello Road. She had this seat she always sat in and she would buy anyone and everybody a drink. So much so that when she passed away, they put a plaque where she used to sit. And it said, Nana Flo, with love from her boys. Which were basically all the guys who used to get free drinks off her. But it was sweet nonetheless. 
Anyway, one of my most fond memories of my nan was my third birthday. She'd ordered this present to arrive. And so on my birthday, the buzzer goes and there's four massive guys outside. And uh, my mum lets them in and they come in with this delivery. They come up four flights of stairs and it took four of them to carry it up. And it was this heavy electric toy car that filled our entire living room. I could not believe my eyes. I had a car the size of our living room. But my mum could not believe her eyes. She had a toy car that filled her living room. She was livid. She rang my nan up, gave her what for, was so annoyed that my nan had bought this ridiculous present for me. Anyway, my mum tried to negotiate with me as like a three-year-old, explained that I couldn't drive the car. There was nowhere for it to go. We didn't have a garden. We couldn't carry it outside. And the best thing was to refund it. And I could get whatever I wanted. But I was having none of it. Because I had a car. And it was the size of our living room. So for the next year, whilst we lived in this small fourth floor flat, couldn't really drive it. But I could do three-point turns. Whole time, just spinning around. So when it came to my driving test, my instructor was like, how are you so good at this? I was like, mate, I've been doing this since I was three years old. Of course I'm good at this. Now, my nan was an extravagant, generous person. But the most extravagant giver this world has ever seen is God. The giver and sustainer of life itself. You will never meet anyone more generous than him. He's radically and recklessly generous towards us. And our lives as Christians are journeys of exploring just how deep his generosity goes, how wide his grace is, how unending his love is for us. In Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We don't need to strive in God's presence. We don't need to earn anything. We don't need to work for anything. Our posture before God is simply one of receiving the good gifts he longs to give us. Eugene Peterson says this, Faith in Christ is an act of abandoning the shores of self, where we think we know where we stand, and if we work hard enough, can be in control. Faith in Christ is a plunge into grace. Not your own doing, but a gift of God. That we are made alive in Christ is not just a past event or a future hope for when we die, but a present daily reality God longs for you to realize. Following Jesus is a first-hand, lifelong journey of discovering what it means to be truly alive. I don't know what you face tomorrow as Monday dawns. What pressures, what prognosis, what challenges, what difficulties. But the life that Christ has set in you, the life you have in you because of him, because of your relationship with him, is greater than any valley of death you may walk through. May the fact that you have been made alive in Christ, may that reality be the reality that changes every other experience you go through. My prayer is that today we would receive the life God has for us. Not tomorrow, not when things change, but today. God longs to give us life.